I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do. So probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life – From the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching programme, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement programme and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly, authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. How are you, Hamish? Well, I wanted to start this episode by saying my best friend was visiting this your, week. Your best friend? My best friend. <laughs> my best friend. Your bestest friend. My bestest friendy in the whole wide world. <laughs> he was visiting this weekend and I have a sore ass. Oh. But it's, it sounds 
dodgier than it needs to that sentence nothing wrong with having a sore ass after visiting a friend yes so what i'll instead i'll give you some context yeah he came up usually he's like a guy that you sort of party with yes but he seems to have switched maybe it's just because i'm now sober yeah it was the most active visit ever okay so okay. he got off a plane he flew in from singapore he's sonny's godfather he flew in from singapore which is a six seven hour flight and he goes, let's run a half marathon. God. So I was like, I've not run in two years. You just got off a long haul flight. But we went and did a half marathon. Wow. So that was quite intense. And the next morning he's like, let's climb Mount Coulomb, which is like an hour and a half climb, is it? Yeah. With a sunny strap, with a strap on, on. Oh, it's not, oh God, it's not brain. going on. No, with it's a, sunny a child strapped on. <laughs> oh gosh, it's gone saucy already. Yeah, we're not even a minute in. No. So we're sunny strapped on my front, climbing mountain. Yeah. And then the next day was a national park walk. So yeah, I'm, I'm my legs and my bum are agony. Okay, God, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. How's, it's how's your bum? My bum is okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good, it's good. lasted the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So. You didn't see my friend Woody. If you'd seen him, maybe you'd have a sore ass. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a nice sober breakfast this weekend. 13 lovely women showed up. Actually, we had a guy show up who didn't yes. realise. And I didn't notice because his name was Kerry. So I didn't notice that it was a male. Sure. And which was lovely, actually. Everyone said that it was cool that he joined us. So, yeah, we had a lovely time. I always leave with my face hurting, not my bottom hurting. Sure. <laughs> my face hurts from laughing and smiling so much at those things because everybody is so open and lovely. It's a brilliant experience. Come to one, everybody. It's the fun. The fact that you call them a sober breakfast implies that some yeah. of your breakfasts aren't. <laughs> they didn't used to be, I can tell you. <laughs> it was usually Bloody Mary's at dawn, quite honestly. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Yes. Okay. So for a long time, listeners of the podcast have been writing to us asking us to do an episode on ADHD and its connection with alcohol. So the reason I wanted to release this episode now is that October is ADHD Awareness Month. It's something we've both been keen to do, but we are going to be totally transparent and admit we don't really know how. Yeah, there's actually lots of topics like that that people write to us wanting us to cover, but we sort of don't know how to do them justice if we haven't experienced them ourselves. So we feel as if we need to recruit an expert who can sort of help guide us through and make our average podcast a really good podcast. Yeah, true. So we've been asked to do them on LBGTQI plus community. We've been asked to do them on the Australian Indigenous culture, the armed forces, all of those we feel as if we need a bit of help to do them justice. And ADHD isn't something either of us, well, we don't think, have had any real experience of. I know my mate Faye Lawrence, yes. she is doing a coaching course at the moment because she has recently been diagnosed with ADHD and she really believes it is, is part of her alcoholism. Mm. And so she's really doing a load of research. I will share her details at the end of this podcast as well because she's amazing. So, yeah, get in touch with her. She knows more about it than we do, that's for sure. 100%. I now know a thousand percent more than I knew this time last week. So before starting the research on this, my entire knowledge on ADHD before researching this week's episode was that I knew it had something to do with attention deficit. And I was like, attention deficit disorder? No, that's ADD. What is it, ADHD? Oh, okay, right. That was that was the entirety of my knowledge. Okay. Did you know more than that? Where, where are you sitting on this? Well, not really. I... I get some emails sometimes from people saying that they think I have ADHD, yeah. which I find really fascinating because they're not doctors. Mm. <laughs> if a doctor emailed me and said, look, I'm an ADHD doctor and I think you have ADHD, then I might listen. But if it's someone I've not met before, <laughs> then generally I don't listen to them. But I do have people saying that they think I might have it. And when I was researching this topic recently, I 
did find there was a list of symptoms mm -hmm. and I did find that I do have some of them, but not all of them. And I found it really interesting because I think being diagnosed with something is helpful. Mm -hmm. But for me, perhaps it just makes me more focused or more capable. And I whether getting diagnosed with something might not work for me because it might make me worry about myself yeah. and worry about my behaviour. So in fact, if I do have a bit of ADHD, then I'm wondering whether it's worth looking into it or not. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping this episode is going to help. Because I do think having a diagnosis is probably a good idea because it would make you more empathetic towards someone that had it and make you more understanding of your own yes. issues if you you know what I mean but basically I don't know very much about it at all there are some concerns that my son Freddie has it right. his kindy teacher has mentioned it to me and the lady that he does speech therapy with but he's so distracted at speech therapy mm -hmm. Hamish because he hates it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so he's acting like a complete loon I'm like he's not always like this yeah, yeah. he's just acting completely like crazy at the moment but yeah the, it, there are mentions of it within my family but none of us have actually been tested for it so well, I, that's probably not a good thing and it's maybe something we should do and i'm hoping today i will find out well i can tell you from this episode you would really struggle to be diagnosed with it if you only display some of the symptoms okay as right. an adult you basically have to display all of the symptoms for them to go you've got it okay it's kind of something that's diagnosed a lot in children but very difficult to actually get a diagnosis as an adult and he will tell you why okay i'm finding it so interesting already hamish because i don't know the ins and outs of it and i do i do wonder you know at what stage people get diagnosed and also what how much of it is just part of the human condition yeah. like does having adhd make us work harder or make us do more quickly and mm -hmm. things like that you know it's very interesting it's a fine line to whether something is helping you or hindering yes. you okay you're in the same headspace as i am okay but what really gave me the nudge to step up and take the mantle on this episode vic was two experiences that happened to me in a very short period of time so the first one was that I met a new friend. New, new friend. Oh, a new friendy oh, Wendy Woo Woo. Friend oh, I got, did you hold hands in the park? <laughs> oh, my God, Famous has got a new friend. Oh, God. I don't know how to draw this in now because what I'm about to say is quite serious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, back to serious, back to serious mode. So I told him that I had a podcast about sobriety and he was actually very open and quite brave in sharing his experiences of alcohol and ADHD. So he explained to me how common it was for those living with ADHD to either drink or smoke weed daily, particularly at the end of the day. And actually, I had no idea about that. And I know we get emails saying, do it, this is an important subject, but I really had no idea it was that big an issue and that common an issue for people struggling with ADHD. And then shortly after that, we had a message come through, I think it was on Instagram from someone who said, not only please do an episode on ADHD, but more importantly, they were like, I'm sure you've already spoken to this person. It seems obvious, but clearly this is the perfect guest for you to get involved. And I was like, okay, that's the way, that's the email we want, guys. If yes, you say yeah. do an episode on the gay community, we want your number one tip of the person to speak to as well. Do yes. a little bit of the work for us, I guess yeah. is what we're saying. Yes, help us out. So the name that they recommended was a guy called Dr. Alex Connor. So why Alex Hamish? Alex is an associate professor in biomedical science communication at the University of Birmingham. He was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and has since coached ADHD clients and published papers, blogs and newspaper articles on the subject. Alex was awarded a National Teaching Fellowship for his work on ADHD in academia. 
He's also a fellow podcaster. He co-hosts the ADHD Adults podcast, which has reached the top 10 in the mental health category in the UK, Ireland and New Zealand. He is the chair and co-founder of ADHD Adult UK, which is the UK's leading adult ADHD charity. And as you will soon find out, he does not take himself too seriously. Oh, good. Exactly our kind of guest. Perfect. That's pretty impressive credentials there, Haim. I know. That's such a long list of like amazing things. I know it is. What would our lists look like, do you think? Oh, God. Oversharer. Yeah. Yeah. Saw bottoms. You were the um, the number one downer of snake bite in Scunthorpe. Oh or yes, something, yes, yes. Scunthorpe. <laughs> no, Luton, just as bad. Luton, number yeah. one snake bite and black downer in in the sort of West London, so, Northwest. Yeah. I guess London, you've yeah. got that. I've got occasionally takes his clothes off for yeah. a cheap laugh and no game home. Shit and with the, the ladies. Yeah, and, and well known throughout Luton and the rest of England as being shit with ladies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope we never get interviewed on Desert Island Discs. It would be embarrassing for the presenter, wouldn't it? Alex won't have us on his podcast now because we've got no no numbers or or letters after our names. (laughs) We've got nothing. We've got nothing. But I found out so much during our chat. So I I don't want to give away too much, but I generally think there's so much to take from his experiences, whether you live with ADHD or not. So to give you a little context, before we got into this interview... It started really weirdly. Oh, good. Okay. I like so a weirdy. He came online telling me that he had just been to the hospital because right. his wife had cut her face with some paper. <laughs> I had a Dear. lot of questions about that. I was, right. like, was it a paper cut? Uh, did she drop the yellow pages on her head? I had a lot of questions about that, but I yeah. feel like that's not really what this podcast is about. So we sort of, he said, like, I might have to run at any time. At any moment during the interview, my phone might go and I might have to run back to the hospital. Okay. So I was sort of on edge. And I also thought, go like we don't have to do this now <laughs> you do it another time. your wife's in hospital with a with a cut on her face from yeah. paper you can run but i'm really grateful that he was like no no we'll do it we'll do it okay. then we had the usual half an hour panic of i can hear you but i can't see you your mic's oh, rising your headphones isn't God. working you got a panic call john got a panic call <sighs> yeah. we eventually sort of figured it out and i began the interview by asking him what is adhd that's actually a more difficult question to answer than it sounds it's it depends who you ask and what you mean so from a medical perspective as a as the disorder of of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder it's a, a sort of, of symptoms and behaviors that, that that are caused by a problem with how our, our brains develop from from inside the womb really for mainly genetic reasons and so we don't process information in the same way as the, the vast majority of, of, of adults. It's problems with what we pay attention to, choosing and, and, and for how long. It's problems with controlling our emotional reactions to things. It's problems sitting still when you're supposed to. And it's problems getting bored very, very easily. So things that everybody struggles with, but, but 50, 100 times a day to quite an extreme level. And how does that look in your life? You know, what's your version of ADHD? Because I understand there's a few different types within that description. There are. There are, there are actually three, three flavours of ADHD. So there's, there's, if you think about the words attention deficit, and deficit in medical land where nobody lives doesn't mean lack of. It means doesn't work properly. So it's not that we have less attention. We just don't pay attention to the things we want to or for as long as we want to. And so some people are attention, inattention type. Some people are the hyperactivity, impulsivity type. And some people, like me, are the triple threat, 
say a combined type where we have all of those things i fidget i guess you'd say i don't love the word because it's slightly infantile but i i am hyperkinetic everything moves all the time it's almost physically painful to me to sit in an audience for example that's not everybody with adhd that's that's my one of my reactions um I, i'll fiddle with my pen my toes move everything moves all the time i have impulsive physical interactions and, and the attention side of things is is to watch a, to watch a film at the cinema I, I find that and i love it i love films almost impossible without getting up going to the loo pretending i need a wee i i, I struggle to maintain attention ever on anything except the odd thing which really grabs me especially when it shouldn't and i then hyper focus for hours to the exclusion of all else really so are you flicking through these in in the same day are you going one day being very hyper the next day very hyper focused or is it you know every half hour or something switching it's a really good question no i'm always like it all the time not every half an hour every half minute and different days are worse from others and if you're not medicated it's particularly uh, bad or and if you haven't had support so talking therapies that kind of thing it, it, you, you don't learn the strategies that are healthy for you but yeah it's all the time that's kind of the point really because every, everybody gets bored don't they sometimes nobody wants to sit in in a, an audience or in a meeting for three hours no no one but if it's two minutes and you're already sort of like oh well, this is painful always all the time imagine what school was like for me because school in the uk system as you know is listening sitting there listening unbelievably tortuous for me and it's one size fits all. It's sort of, this is the way that we teach and you better fit in the box, otherwise you're going to struggle. Or you're going to get labelled, which I've been labelled all my life. And to particularly focus on that example you gave of watch, you know, being in a cinema, yeah. when you're getting that urge to, I need to get up and pretend to go to the loo or just go for a walk, yeah. what are you actually yeah. feeling? Are you feeling bored? Are you feeling like I need to move? I need to be looking at something that's not just this dark room with a screen in front of me? What are you actually feeling in that moment? Yes. <laughs> so all of the above it's it's almost like physical pain there's nothing else so imagine your brain saying this is the wrong thing to do you're doing the wrong thing this is the wrong thing you're doing the wrong thing as well as being bored is, is sort of another horrible word isn't it because it, it it sort of suggests i remember someone saying to me when i was a kid oh, only boring people get bored and, and i was oh god yeah of course that's a, a character flaw i'm a, I'm a bad human but what it actually is, is a brain disorder where motivation for somebody with ADHD much more requires our brains, not even us, our brains to see the emotional, short-term emotional reward of doing it. I think everyone can relate to the idea that you've got a job to do in the kitchen, say there's towels on the floor, you should pick them up and stick them in the washing machine. You've got to feel a reason to do that. You've got to feel an emotional reward to, to actually move your legs and arms over there. And for ADHD, that threshold is much higher. And so everybody sometimes doesn't want to. So oh, I'll leave that till later. But with us, that's all the time. If we can't always see an, a very clear emotional reward for doing it short term as well, not like, oh, I'll be, have clean towels in three days. It, we can't do it not won't not don't want to we want to do it more than anybody with the shame and the guilt of this is huge 
we, we, we physically can't connect the part of the brain that plans to do it and the kind of ancient lizard part of the brain that does stuff, moves. The, the, the communication between those parts of the brain doesn't work properly. Yeah. We'll come, to, come back to that phrase, shame and guilt, because that's obviously something that comes up a lot when people talk about addiction and drinking oh, yeah. in particular. But you've mentioned the word fidgeting. You've mentioned school. Yeah. ADHD, many of us obviously think this is a childhood condition. Yes, and I've, I've heard you talk about how it's very difficult to actually get diagnosed as an adult. And I thought, gosh, how many people suffer with ADHD? I would have guessed one in a thousand. And yeah. it's actually 2.5% of adults. Yeah, one in four. Who isn't that extraordinary? Know, and even yeah. your your own diagnosis was by accident. Well, I tell know, me about that day. We sort of discussed. I was I was in. I'd got a little babies, and that isn't a great time, is it? In your life, it's always. I don't know if you know this, but it's. I, I would argue that naught to two and a quarter for people who have substance problems is such a danger sign that you need. We need. We need support more than anybody could possibly imagine. It's horrible. Uh, obviously. I, broadly tolerate my own children i went along to get help and i this is embarrassing hamish i had already published papers as a professional scientist in adhd and other neurodivergent conditions i didn't know i had it because the behaviors and the way the medical described the symptoms aren't really very similar at all and then luckily i had a friend who was a psychiatrist who said you know this might be that so i went to the gp and i said look i've got my drinking i can't it's out of control. Someone suggested ADHD, and then I said these words, which I'm not even sure is a real thing in adults. I don't, I'm not sure I believe it. It's just personality. And I said all this stuff, all these proper, like, bigoted, biased things that I now spend half of my life trying to gently clarify. And he said, oh, no, you definitely are. It's obvious. I'll send you directly to the psychiatrist, which tells you when it was and how, how bad I am. And they were they were great. They were great. They they explained to me. They explained that it, in re, in reality, nobody actually gets cured of ADHD. It's there is no cure. It's lifelong. You're always going to have these things. If if you manage your life to a point where you're not unhappy, it's not negatively affecting your choices, then you might not qualify for a commit like a medical diagnosis because they have to look at the effect on you which is why in the literature it looks like you've cured yourself where in actual fact you've, you've, you've had privilege. In my case, for example, I've had loads of life privilege. You've had support, you've had luck, and you've been creative, a creative person who can find ways around it. In my case, pretending I wasn't using drugs and alcohol was how I demonstrated success. And when they diagnosed you with it was there an element of relief was there an element of oh, oh that that's what it's been all this time or did it you know go well that doesn't solve my problem I'm still feeling what I'm feeling I'm still feeling as if I need to drink you know what what were your emotions in being told the news I I, I have that now that feeling now of relief and I love having a reason for some of the labels I've always put on myself but at the time my self-image was so low that I thought I tricked the psychiatrist I thought I would remain just a shit person and this was too much of an excuse, too convenient for it not to be just simply my fault. I'd, I, this was 30-odd years of saying I'm not a, a real boy, which is my slightly creepy way of saying I never felt like a proper human. I, couldn't, I can't do the simple things everyone can do. And I've got a PhD. I, and then I can't join my wife in a trip to the theatre or something. Really? 
what a pathetic man-child. And so to, to go against that, that required years of deconstruction, I think. It sounds to me like there is a sort of inner dialogue that you've got this lack of self-worth probably being boxed and given a tough time at school and, you know, being labelled. And on the other hand, you've got, well, I've got a PhD. For someone who struggles with attention and school was difficult, you've obviously excelled in, in you know, you're clearly a very, very intellectual yeah. man. Is there a sort of inner conflict of labels and not being able to know exactly what you are coming together here? There was, yeah, not anymore. What I didn't realise until a long ages really was the diff the difference between external and internal success so my external success is that everybody lauded they used to call me the, oh, i can't even it's like they, they, they would like oh, like the golden boy and all these things and the height of my external success was about the time i tried to kill myself and that's the point isn't it not my phd means and i can't stress this enough nothing to me because i'm not proud of it because it wasn't the real me doing it i was I was masking, I was hiding. I was doing it for the reasons that were a cost to my mental and physical health. But my, let's have a think about this, my podcast, which I love, my coaching qualification, which really coaching isn't anything. It's broadly a piece of paper with some open questions on it. That's all my job is. That means more to me than a thousand PhDs because it's the real me doing it. And I get internal success from people saying, oh, you've, you've helped me stop drinking or you've helped me with my... ADHD or just accept myself that that's success Hamish that's it that's all so what was the driving force behind you pursuing the PhD to be Dr Connor to win I thought that was the key then I could be like everyone else I wanted to be someone that could go to garden centers oh the thought I couldn't wait to be a grown-up still waiting and 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 so pretending to be something I'm not is what I've always done I've always masked when I'm with my community, with the adult ADHD community, which I spend a lot of time with now, we, we code switch. We have a dialect that people might not comprehend. So if I said to you, oh, well, obviously I climbed uh, up that mountain in record time, but I can't do the ironing. Someone with ADHD would not say, why not? They wouldn't say, but you've done the ironing before. They wouldn't, they would just go, oh yeah, obviously. So becoming safe, becoming unmasked was a massively long process did you not know anyone else with adhd growing up or you know until you were diagnosed and then i imagine you sort of discover this this there's bound to be a, a community of people with adhd who are sharing these types of experience did you were you lonely the day yeah. that you found out you know yeah. were the only one that you knew effectively yeah lonely ashamed i hid it from my employers i hid it from my family because it's that heady mix of not even believing it's real because I can't possibly have a, a reason for my behaviours, waiting for the frankly accurate expectation that people will go, oh, that's just naughty boys, that's just an excuse, that's just, a oh, everyone needs something. Now, why do you need a label? And that's just my mum. That's not true. That's a joke. <laughs> She's really supportive. Um, but everybody does it. Everybody says it to me all the time. They say, oh, I'm like that. They have no idea. And so, yeah, incredibly lonely. There was no support mechanism for people that didn't want esoteric, crystal-based bullshit. So we built one. What I'm interested in with regards to alcohol and ADHD yeah. is to what extent it's the ADHD itself that is drawing you to drink? 
Mm. It is the internal dialogue in your mind or in that side of things. Or if it's the other side and it is the, it's the guilt, it's the shame, it's the loneliness, it's the label, it's the worried about judgment. Or is it, you know, as simple as, well, it's a little bit of both and that's, that's why it's so difficult to fight. I'm going to say something that's not science. This is more of a scientific opinion. I think it's more the first than the second. And you're right, of course, it's a little bit of both. And some people have got, I think some people have chemical alcohol addiction. One of the reasons I don't call myself an alcoholic, and rather I say I have an alcohol use disorder, is because I'm not chemically addicted to alcohol. I use alcohol to self-medicate for a, a neurological disorder. And the main symptom of that is one called domestic anxiety which and this is a massive plug for the podcast i I invented that term to describe a thing that isn't out there and that means you get home right from work you've had a successful day you're just about to open the door you love your family and you feel sick what are you going to do what's the plan I can't enjoy myself, possibly. I, I am. I don't know what to do for the next five hours. The thought of just watching Coronation Street or whatever. Oh, no. So the, the where's the emotional reward? And the thought of one, what I need some kind of like checklist, do I, to spend time with my lovely wife and kids or to play the piano or read a book? That can't be right, but it is. And so that domestic anxiety, that feeling, a very, very, very easy shortcut for that is in my experience, cocaine and alcohol, my psychiatrist, one of the first things he said to me was, you know how you stockpile cocaine from parties and then save it from when you're on your own? Because I was a single dad. And you use that to do the Sunday Times crossword on your own for a bit of peace. That's not how the other people are using it. And this was news to me. Just to quieten the bloody mind a bit. You know, it's interesting. One of the reasons that I wanted to record this podcast now is that literally two weeks ago, I made a new friend up here who the first nights that I met him told me about he's living with ADHD and he has to drink similarly to the way you described, you know, between five and 7pm every night he has to drink. And I saw him at the weekend and I said, you know, one of the things that Alex talks about is domestic anxiety. And he went, oh yeah, you know, even though this is something that you've created, he totally got it. And I've not really dug into why he feels like he has to have a drink at that time, whether or not it is a reward, whether or not it's just quieting all of the noise in his mind at that time of night. He's also talked about people needing to drink just to sort of function during the day, to not feel lost for words and to feel, you know, not socially as if a bright light is shining on you. I know that your your podcast co-host talked about smoking weed, which again, this guy was like, yeah, I'm either smoking weed or I'm drinking alcohol depending on the night. Uh, I know that you two seem like one of you does one and, and, and the other does the other, but I was shocked by some of the stats that you that you named in your podcast. Yeah. 43% of those living with ADHD will have a lifetime prevalence of alcohol misuse versus just 3 to 11% of those living without it. I think that more than half of people with an addiction, and, and if I'm really honest, I think it's like 80%, have underlying ADHD or ADHD traits that are the cause of their addiction. I don't think all people with an addiction have ADHD, but I think it's incredibly high. What were you doing before you discovered drugs and alcohol at that time of night when domestic anxiety seems to hit? Or did it only hit when you had a family and kids? You know, Is it not so prevalent when you're 12 years old or 15 years old? I was drinking from 14. 
So that, and before then, I was fucking miserable. Can I swear on your show? Yeah, you go for it. I was really sad. I wasn't one of those naughty boys. I have a more feminine type of ADHD, which is how they... So it's never true that all women do this and all men do this. Uh, And having said that, you're far more likely to get a diagnosis if you're a boy, for lots of reasons, even though the prevalence is probably equivalent. And one of them is the way culturally we are expected to behave. And the manifestation, therefore, of childhood ADHD tends, population-wise, to be different and I would have fit more into the female expectation in that I wasn't playing up I was just sad the whole time and then I got home and I had a brilliant family still have and they it was an ADHD friendly it was wildness brilliant loving wildness still is and so I had that and that was for me I lived in the middle of nowhere in the 80s and 90s and I had guns and motorbikes and just fun all the time. I didn't do homework ever. Didn't wouldn't have even crossed my mind. So I that was my comfort zone. Does that drink at that time of night, five to seven PM, yeah. make the idea of hanging out with a wife and kids more pleasing, more tolerable? Are you just sort of sedating your emotions? What are you actually getting out of that drink at that time? Yeah, so um it's not the actual actions. So I I'm sober now. And I love doing that, but I don't love the thought of four hours. I would look, I do like the action of four hours. So it's all about anticipation and perception. And the fear that you're going to get bored. So what it does, so alcohol is, um, it's both a depressant and a stimulant in equal measure. No one knows how it works. So speaking as a neuroscientist, which I'm a crap neuroscientist, but we don't actually know how it works completely because it crosses the cells without going for a receptor, partly. We know that it triggers a lot of the things that are expected to be reduced in ADHD, such as how dopamine works, dopamine activity, serotonin, which is you know the Prozac one, and noradrenaline, which is excitement and reward and gambling and all those things. And we know that alcohol affects those. So what I was doing was quietening the sort of constant noise in my head but also a depressant and a cognitive depressant so I wasn't able to think as well so it really just slowed everything down the difficulty in hearing you describe it in the podcast episode that you did which was I think it was October last year you'd just done nine months of sobriety but I think you were back to drinking yeah and it sounded like you were saying that the difficulty is you know how bad it is for you yeah but it it's actually working like, to do the job that you're, you've asked of it to do at that time of night. And you had been using it since you were 14. It was working. So you're sort of in this horrible position where it's obviously doing you no good, but it's a short term fix. Yeah, I mean, we would people wouldn't do it if it wasn't pleasurable, would they? I remember when train spotting came out and people say, you can't say heroin's nice. And I was thinking, well, why do you think they do it? <laughs> it's this yeah this you know it's, it's nice i think if you can have a one drink and stop there's no healthy is there? there's only some things are healthier than others and f- for me f- it, it did a big amount of the work that i now have to do and all the things i have in place that are that have replaced alcohol and the healthier they all stop working so i have to have them on rotation whereas alcohol never did stop working there's yes much, much okay harder 
So what tools are you using? How have you gone about giving up? It's a really, really personal decision. One thing I'll say, and this isn't true for all ADHD people, but be really, really mindful that our brains process things differently. So one of the reasons I couldn't give up, and I guarantee, Hamish, I've never said this before, I will never drink again. I'm not day by day, because that's what I was always trying before. I was trying to be Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not not religious either, so it was an absolute nightmare. And I know that loads of people respect it highly, and I do, but remember we're we're different. So if it doesn't work for you, it's not shame. I need routine and I hate routine because of ADHD. So if I say, oh, I'll take day, like one day, I'm impulsive by nature. Well, tomorrow I'm definitely going to drink then, right? If I say, oh, I'm not, I don't do that. That's a fact. I kind of don't think about it until domestic anxiety kicks in. And then I know I've got a series of things in place. And that's a personal thing. What I would say is get some help, ask someone, just run with you. It can just be a friend. You don't need professional help to ask you what things make you feel reward and write them down because you'll forget. And they'll stop working. Don't get ashamed of that. Don't get put off by that. Just have as many as you can. It might be Sudoku or chess or anything else. And so exercise works really, really well for me. But then at five o'clock, I'm not in the mood to do it. So I have to do something else. Um, Talking. I have a friend who I can phone. What works? So uh, TV programs that I have to say to the missus, um, I'm going to watch this on my own now because no one else wants to watch it. And I don't want, I, I need to not drink right now. Eating at 5.30. Don't eat late if, if you're like me because hunger and alcohol are brilliant friends. So I have loads and loads of things that are all on rotation. They all stop working. I don't feel shame about that. Whereas I used to I used to think you have to be someone else. And it is a little bit of work and, and, eternal vigilance, price of freedom and all that. And have you found those just over a lifetime of trial and error? Just little tricks that seem to work until they don't? Um, the, yeah, but it, they don't come in by osmosis. I had to actually think about it. And then I had to actually write it down because I, I don't remember things. Someone asks someone with ADHD, oh, what are your strengths? will go, I have none. Or they'll look at something on their shelf and go, um, book? Yeah, yeah. Plan? <laughs> what what yeah. was the question? So we, all these things, it's okay to get help to write them down. And yeah, and then thinking of when was I happy? A question no one ever asked me. No one has ever asked me this. And now I ask a lot of people who ask me for help is, what's it like when you don't drink? How does that feel? Why can't you not? And part of it's impulsive, it's available. And that was a big thing for me is when you spend all day in a hairdresser's, sooner or later, you're going to get a haircut. So if you've got available, I didn't, I don't go into pubs just because it's available. I've actually recently gone in a couple of times for food and it was absolutely fine. But for the first probably six months, I wouldn't step foot in one. How long have you been sober now? Um, this time for, I mean, approximately <laughs> it's 12 hours under eight months. So it, uh, I, I had a, a moment on New Year's Eve last year where I'm not sure I've talked about this before. Okay. I was pissed. It was 7 p.m. And my sons were visiting and my wife was there. And I was having a slight sort of argument with my wife who doesn't really drink very much. And I was thinking, why is she being weird? I was saying she's purposefully not understanding and she's purposefully being argumentative. 
And I said it out loud. And both of my sons said, it's not her, it's you. And I thought, firstly, that's your stepmother. You need to support me first. That is a joke. I didn't say that before. <laughs> what, what I did think was that cannot be true. So I had this moment of cognitive dissonance where all three of them were saying, and I trust them all, the same thing independently. And I'm saying the opposite. And I either believe me or I believe them. And if I believe them, then I cannot trust my brain, my thoughts. I'm wrong and the shame and the guilt. And then I carried on getting pissed and I missed the fireworks and they all had a great time. And I don't think I've ever felt lower. So I woke up and I, my sons put all the, cause I asked them to all the alcohol down, hid it away. And I that said, that was it. And that was it. Because it's amazing how New Year's Eve is either the biggest piss up or one of the biggest days that people give up alcohol of the year. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. so many people's counters start January 1st, like yours has. It's convenient going, well, I had a shit, it, it's, it feels nice at the start of a calendar. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people have shit New Year's and have falling out with a family member. And that seems yeah. to be the kickstarter for, for long-lasting sobriety. They even left the room because it got a bit awkward. And I'm thinking, really? Really, that's who you are? You're someone that people leave the room because you're making them feel uncomfortable. Really? Is that the hero of your book, is it? I'm not having that. I'm not having that. Depression is three times more prevalent in adults with ADHD. Yeah. And I also learned recently about the the rejection sensitive dysphoria, which seems yeah. to affect so yeah. many people with ADHD. Almost, all of us, Almost everyone, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess with more so with the depression than the rejection, a huge amount of medication must be available. I'm sure there there's medication available for ADHD as well. It's what speed. in your experience? Yeah, is it? Yeah. 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 What, what in your yeah, experience yeah. has been? Yeah. What are the benefits or the cons of of medicating? If oh, it's got its speed, I, what are the pros and cons of speed in a, in a medical right. environment? So, just a couple of boring science bits. Firstly, um, depression and anxiety are definitely more prevalent in people with ADHD. They split into two camps. One of them, one of whom, it's more. It, it's just comorbid. It's like you're, you're more likely to also have that disorder. But at the, in some people, like me, the anxiety and the depression was entirely due to living with undiagnosed, untreated and unsupported ADHD. So if you have the disability and the disorder of depression and you treat ADHD, it's likely that that's not going to help the depression. You need separate CBT or whatever or, or medication for that. If, like me, it's directly because... I started taking medicine and getting support. One of the side effects was anxiety and it made my anxiety go away. Really? <laughs> Partly because all of that was due to the ADHD rather than a separate disorder. And you can have both. Also, it's possible that people with ADHD have paradoxical pharmacology. So when I'm taking cocaine to relax, I take speed, prescription speed from my neurologist every morning at 8 a.m. It helps me sleep. And just think about that for a minute. If you want to think that ADHD isn't real, it's not biological, it helps me sleep. Oh, nice, comfy speed. What the hell? It's and cocaine to relax. Yeah, isn't that bonkers? So if you gave 100 people in a room speed and 50 of them fall asleep, you know they're the 50 with ADHD. <laughs> well, it doesn't unfortunately work like that. And 20% of people with ADHD are non-responders to the uh, stimulant medication. There's a speed light one called Ritalin you've probably heard of, but I'm on the superpowered actual speed, Lizdex amphetamine. 20% responsive. 
I'm, I'm not. I'm really lucky in the 80% that's very responsive and it, it works very well for some aspects of ADHD, not the emotional side of things, which actually most of us struggle with for that. You need coping strategies, support, therapy and emotion. So it's as simple as that. They'll just go, hey, you're, you're non-responsive. These meds are not going to be for you. We need to look at other avenues. There are some other meds. There's some non-stimulant ones like atomexetine. There's some off-counter options you can have. The antidepressants have been shown. Caffeine in some people seems to work in relatively high doses, like three or four cups a day. But it really is only for being able to maintain focus for longer on things you do actually want to do. It doesn't suddenly turn you into a, a, a robot zombie that wants to do accountancy unless you already love accountancy. The RSD, the rejection sensitivity you talked about, that's the emotional side of ADHD, which arguably is worse. And, and for me, the drinking was a big part of that. Feeling like not just that you're going to be rejected, that you expect to be, even if that's not likely, or you perceive rejection coming, or you feel rejection much more harshly than other people would. Think about getting a slap. A rejection is like a slap, right? Not very nice, no one likes it, but imagine if you've now got sunburn, and that's what ADHD feels like when you're rejected, it's, it's emotional sunburn. And so that, often you either become a people pleaser, or like me, a sociopath, where you do not allow rejection. And that, yeah, that comes with privilege as well, of course. So if you were to have a magic wand, and there was any one symptom of ADHD you could miraculously get rid of, would it be, would it be the rejection? I think it would be the domestic anxiety because of the gambling, the, the, the games addiction, the alcohol, obviously the drugs. I think that, but the, the, we also have emotional dysregulation. So I once was really, really upset, cried out. I was angry at my grandfather's funeral. And then another occasion when my now ex-wife made me some potatoes wrongly, I lost my, I, I, no, I, I had a, no reaction at all to that. And the, that was a joke. What actually happened was the opposite of those two things. Yeah. When my <laughs> beloved granddad died, I, I didn't feel the right, the right inverted commas emotions. And then the potato thing really happened. I don't respond a- appropriately, and I mean that. No, I'm not talking about so- how, what society wants. I'm talking about what I want. My emotions aren't concomitant with the stimulus. And, and this seems to be neurological. I'm great in a crisis because I don't give a shit. But a really tiny thing goes wrong, and then I really, really do. And, it, and, and in that moment, I think the world is going to fall down. And I've learned to say I'm having an inappropriate emotional reaction. I'm going to take three minutes, and I go away, and I come back, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't care about that thing now. No, I don't want a divorce. That was a different person speaking. And obviously, in those circumstances, with the guilt and the shame and those feelings, alcohol is a neural depressant, which is another thing that can stop those feelings. And all feelings, so it's not great. Do you think you've got to a stage with it now where you are grateful that you have ADHD for whatever lessons you've learned and where it's taken you in your life with regards to your career and the people you speak to? Or would you still rather not have it? No, it can fuck off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not me. You're not more creative if you've got ADHD. That's the myth. It's nonsense. People that say that have misunderstood how it works. Creativity is a human trait. That's what, that's what we are. We, we're in often in less rigid environments because we can't do those things. And the people you see who've got a diagnosis and say, oh, we're more creative, look at us all. We're all diagnosed and we're all creative. Yeah, if you're not very creative 
how are you going to access, how are you going to get through all those structural barriers to get the diagnosis in the first place? Said this before, if you made a ADHD clinic at the top of a mountain, you'd be walking around going, isn't it funny that everybody with ADHD is an accomplished mountain climber as well? Exactly. They must be connected somehow. They make you fill in all these forms. And so if you're not someone with privilege, with support, with help, you're not going to be able to do them and you'll never get support. And that's why untreated, undiagnosed people are far more likely to commit suicide, to die earlier, to have depression, anxiety, and to have jobs and qualifications that are not in line with their intellectual abilities. So no, it's not ADHD isn't me, I'm Alex. It's, it's a neurological disorder that means I have to think different ways to achieve things. And having learned how to do that with support and privilege in my life, but so the freedom to go, well, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to learn a way that works for my brain is an advantage, but you've got to be in a really lucky position to exploit that in your life. Alex, where can people find you? You've got your podcast. Give that a plug all you, all you like. Where else can we, where else can we hear more of you? That's the ADHD adults. You can find that on Spotify. Um, it's free with adverts. We have a, what's it called when you do things and people like join in for a month uh, it's a subscription service if people want nonsense like extra nonsense which they sometimes do and um, i do talks for seed talks if you google that we do online ones as well if you're not in the uk um james and i do them independently uh, and sometimes together get in touch if you on we have we we run a charity as well independently of that called the ad called <laughs> adhd adult uk it's not for people in the uk it's from a uk cultural perspective that's a euphemism for, you know how like the American ones are very, very positive. Yeah. We're sometimes slightly less positive. <laughs> so, are you, are you guys pumped to have ADHD? Not really, no. No, we hate it. We want <laughs> yeah, and so we, we, t we take the, because there are advantages of having supported, managed, treated, living with ADHD, because you've had to think differently. But it's in the same way that there are advantages being in a wheelchair, that you've got muscly arms. It's not necessarily because of the disability, right? It's a, it's a, a coping strategy. To You've had to. You've had to. And so, yes, we want representation because we've got something to offer that we've learned. It's more Batman than Superman is what I'm saying. We're not special. We've had to grow up like that. And so get in touch on the socials for ADHD Adult UK if you need support from the charity perspective. If you want to talk to us, I'm, I'm Alex, the psychoeducation monkey on Instagram. Um, yeah, please get in touch. Or through you, you've got my email. If anybody wants to talk, just send them, drop, drop them my email. Well, thank you so much. I can't tell you how many people reach out to us and say, you have to do an episode on ADHD. And we've always felt incapable like neither of us live with it we don't know how we would approach it and then your name was sent to us by two separate people in a week and they said look he's funny he's got a podcast he lives with it he's very intelligent he's good at speaking about it you were the unicorn that we were looking for to do this episode <laughs> yeah yeah exactly she emails us every week please get him on get him on <laughs> um, but yeah we're so grateful that we found you because yeah, I've, I've got no doubt that this will hopefully help lots of people who who are living with adhd and are struggling with with an addiction of any sort you know it could be alcohol could be any kind of drug by the sounds of it uh, so we try and talk so more about the spectrum not at Absolute all not at all thank you so there you have it Hames chat with dr alex connor 
I said it there, but I really do believe it. I think he was the perfect guest for Sober Awkward on this episode in particular. He lives with HD, coaches people with it. I think I can call him an expert on the subject. And he was really open about his struggles with alcohol and drugs. Plus, he's sober. I actually didn't know he was sober going into this episode. Right. I knew that yeah. he had had periods of sobriety. Yeah. It didn't really matter if he was sober, I suppose, for the for the subject matter, mm. but it was certainly a bonus that, he, that he's managed to find a way to get there. Well, it just proves, I guess he's an expert on it, so he knows that alcohol is not going to help his ADHD at the end of the day, isn't he? What do you feel that you've learned from this chat, Hamish? Anything at all? No, nothing. Oh, no, that's not no. well. No, <laughs> no the, big, the biggest thing for me, it was a, a deeper understanding and acceptance of people who live with alcohol use disorder. I think it's it's all well and good us saying on the podcast, you should give up, we've given up, our life's much better, you know, here are some tools to help you. But I guess actually speaking to someone who's got a condition like ADHD, but it's, it's not as black and white as perhaps it has been for us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so complex. And I think it's given me more empathy for people that struggle with, with alcohol at any stage, when you've got ADHD or not. But it really deepened my understanding of that. So I feel as if my understanding on alcohol and its effect on people just went through the roof. Yeah, that's so good. Another thing I loved about the chat with Alex was his constant work on discovering new ways to maintain his sobriety. I mean, he doesn't relax into it, does he? He's always exploring things that work until they don't, I guess. I'm sure our listeners can relate to this and find inspiration in there too. It basically, he's just saying, keep trying. I really hope whether you're living with ADHD or not, you've learned something from our chat today. Whether it helps you with your sobriety or furthers your understanding of the millions that are living with ADHD, we covered so much here. From bullying to labels, depression, anxiety, medication. I'm just really glad we got linked up with Alex and would encourage all of you to go check out his ADHD adults podcast which is hilarious um, he's got an episode specifically on alcohol and find him online he's more than happy for you to email him and reach out if you're living with ADHD or you've got a close friend or loved one who's, who's living with it then he is a, a fountain of knowledge that you can pick his brains you know if there's anything that I didn't cover in that interview then please do reach out he was just a wonderful man yeah he was brilliant thank you so much alex for coming on sober awkward we love having an expert on don't we Haim? we need one expert because we are not experts on anything yeah we're just experts at what i don't know what are you an expert at oh i know having a sore bottom yeah yeah that's about it that's about it yeah me too and we hope your wife's face is recovered yeah, we hope your wife's face has recovered. Yeah. What did you find out more about that? No, I have so many questions. Alex, you've got to tell us what happened with the paper cut. I know. What sort of paper are we talking about here? I don't know. In the face. In the face. Well, we'll update you on that because that is quite interesting. I, I bet I shouldn't have said that at the start. People are probably worried about that the whole episode. Yeah. And couldn't concentrate on the tell content. Tell us about the face. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll we will put all his links into the show notes and the. The face paper cut update. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it?
Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? It's probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry, and cringe, and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny-weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. (laughs) 